kind of love that is grandiose, uh, a kind of love that is beyond what is expected. And at my wedding, um, you know, you start opening up the presents later on. This is a great part of the wedding. And so I had a, a, an envelope for one of my dad's friends that he grew up with. I didn't see him very much, but I occasionally saw him. And so I opened up the envelope. Uh, it, you always want to get envelopes, by the way. Envelopes are very nice. No, no wrapping, but they're usually very nice. And so I opened it up, and there's a letter inside of it. And he has written a poem specifically to, to me. And I thought that was pretty cool, like a poem, plus a check for $1,000. That's right. So it wasn't just a poem, but it was a really good poem. But it was special because like he read, I mean, like he spent time thinking about me and it was just, it was really, you know, it was well done. And then there was some money that went with it, an exceptional kind of gift. And I kind of remember that gift among the, to among the toasters and crafts that we got as well. But like that stood out as an exceptional kind of love that he expressed to me. I hope those things happen for you as well. Look for the envelopes. But for you, have you experienced an exceptional kind of love like that before? Has someone done something that you go, now that, that's a little bit beyond what is expected. Can you think of those times? For some, it may not be quite as obvious. It may be a parent who didn't kill you when you were a teenager. There was some exceptional patience going on there. And so now you can look back and go, that was a, a unique kind of love that they had for me. I would imagine that we all have stories of service that was, go, that was exceptional, that went beyond in our lives. Someone did something that just took us aback, a gift, um, certain kind of care. Today, as we look in the book of Luke, Ruth, we're going to see an exceptional and extraordinary kind of love. And if you've been with us, uh, this has been an incredible, incredible book for us to, to look at and see how God works in the book of Ruth to show uh, a special kind of love. Uh, we talked about a hased. The word hased is that, that word in Hebrew that uh, kind of defies any kind of exact word that we have. So we kind of add to what hased is, this kind of love, by telling the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. And today we're going to get even more of that today as we look at uh, an exceptional kind of, an extraordinary kind of love. We've been talking about how Ruth is set in the time, the book of Ruth is set in the time of the judges. And so as a backdrop, the kind of the landscape of all that is happening in the book of Ruth is we realize there is the children of Israel, God's chosen people, the ones that he has looked out across all of time and humanity and said, I choose you, you are my people. And he has given himself to them and asked them to give themselves to him and they've had a covenant relationship together. And the book of Judges is this cycle they keep going through. If you remember that uh, as, as God is calling them to himself, they turn to other gods, they worship other gods, they uh, intermarry with other people, they do all kinds of things that God said not to do. And so they then face the consequences of that as God disciplines those he loves. And he begins to turn them back to himself because they, they fall under terrible circumstances. 
They call out to God, God hears them, and then he sends uh, some kind of savior to help them. And the savior helps get them out of the situation. And for a moment, usually, they turn back to God and say, yay, God, um, we're back with you. But it doesn't last very long. And so this is the cycle. Some of you have gone back, have given me reports. You've gone back and read the book of Judges and read through the book of Ruth, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm seeing, ah, you know, that's the kind of the response, like, here we go again, here we go again, here we go again, and that's just the book, of, and this is the landscape in which the book of Ruth is interposed, it's stuck right in between that story, so you can see all that is going on, and so now we get to see like a small picture, like a family unit living in the mix of all this that's happening nationally with the whole nation of Israel, and we see this family of Elimelech and Naomi and Ruth. We later see Ruth. She marries into the family. She's a Moabitess. And they, uh, Elimelech and Naomi, they leave and they take their boys and they go to Moab, which is a terrible place. And they're in this terrible place, this God-forsaken place. They marry these women. They die. And now they've come back. Ruth and Naomi. Naomi's the mother-in-law. Ruth is this Moabitess, this woman who's outside of Israel who is clinging to Naomi and she's loving Naomi and she's being a blessing to Naomi and she has made Naomi's family, Naomi's country, Naomi's soil, Naomi's gods, God, her God. And she has rejected then everything back home. And she says, I'm going to put in my lot with you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to cleave to you like we see in the book of Genesis with, the, with the, 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 the call for a husband and wife to cleave together. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to cling to you. And we are going to live this life together. And I am dedicated. And the word here is chesed. I'm going to love you. She's living out chesed. And so she's, she is with Naomi now uh, as Naomi comes back home. And now Naomi is bitter. Last week, if you remember, was another one of these little phrases at the end of the book, uh, at the end of the chapter, going to the next chapter, that really should alert us to something that's happening. If you remember, at, the ch at chapter one, last week, we finished up with this last sentence, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. For you and me, you're, we think, okay, <laughs> what's the big deal? We already had a feeling like this is a big deal because the beginning, of the beginning of the barley harvest reminds us that the bread has come back to the house of bread, that the famine is over, that there's a blessing. It was an indicator to us that God was at work and that there was blessings they were on the, on the agenda for Ruth and Naomi. There's kind of a, a promise, a hope that that was about to happen. But there's even more because this time is, is really the time of Passover. So we don't think about this quite as much as probably the Jewish calendar. But in the Jewish calendar, the contours of the Jewish calendar, also the contours of religious life and expectation and hope, and so kind of the emotion of the community is, is part of the contours of the calendar. So during this time, we see the time of the Passover. And what's the Passover? 
Passover is that time where they remember that God has not forgotten his people. Important things to remember, right, in this time of the judges. That God has not forgotten his people, but that he has heard their cries, just like in all through the book of Judges. He has listened to their cry, and now he is delivering them from their bondage and taking them to the promised land. So as a community, they're experiencing this long remembrance of God's faithfulness, of God remembering them, seeing them when they were a nobody in Egypt, and saying, you are still my people, and I'll take you out of their bondage just like a promise, and I will take you to the land that I have promised you. That's Passover. Now, for the whole community, they're experiencing that. But as we see in this story, we have this woman who's far off, right? We have this, this Israelite who is in no man's land, and God is calling her about. And then we also have this woman who's not anybody at all, Ruth. And God is calling this woman, calling her out, choosing this woman, and saying, come to the promised land. So when we read that one line, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful piece of literature, right? I mean, it's a beautiful to see. He says, and don't forget, it's the time of the barley harvest. Not only does that mean there's blessings at that time, but remember that God is the God who rescues those who are far away. You should say amen to that. Because we are far off from God. We were just as lost as the Moabitess. <laughs> we didn't belong. We're not, most of you are not Jewish right? We're not part of the chosen family of God. We are far off. We're sinners lost, had no business with God, but he came and got us. Amen. We don't belong, but now we belong. So Passover is awesome, right? We love Easter. That's our story. It's even better than Christmas. That's our story. For the Moabites, he also calls those who, who are his to return home. And many of us are like that. We've, we've wandered away from God. And some of you are in here today and you've wandered away from God and he's called you back. It's time of Passover. Remember that God takes us from distant lands and brings us home. And there's this constant voice, this inaudible voice of God we hear through the book of Ruth where God is saying, come home, Naomi. Come home to the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter. Come home. Oh, I'm waiting for you with open arms. Come home. We haven't even got to verse 1 yet. And this is all that's happening in the background. This, this landscape behind us. And today we're going to see one character raise up as a tower on that landscape with an unexpected kind of love. That he is going to love in a way that is not normal that defies expectations, that defies rules and customs, that even defies and exceeds religious law. A man named Boaz is going to show an exceptional kind of love to Ruth and Naomi. Let's begin with the story. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man, means a good man, exceptional kind of guy, of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And, the, and, and Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And then Naomi says to Ruth, go, my daughter. 
So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. We just said that it's the time of the barley harvest. There's great expectations. Something is going to happen. And we want to wonder, how will God provide? I mean, there, there are these cues, like something's going to happen. You as the reader know something's going to happen. And so here is Ruth, this Moabitess, and she is going, she's saying, I'm hungry. <laughs> and, and Naomi's this maybe middle-aged woman now. And Ruth says to her, I'm going to go out into the field and I'm going to find us something to eat. I'm going to go and work among the laborers. Not work as one of the laborers. She's not getting a job. You can imagine, it's going to be very difficult for a Moabite woman to get a job in Israel. She's going to go and, and she's going to uh, go into the fields and she's going to work in the fields. And what is uh, the response of her mother-in-law? I'll go with you. No, it's, go ahead. <laughs> go, my daughter. It, it isn't far to believe that there is some problems <laughs> that are not exactly uh, mined here with our sister Naomi. She has said, if she's come back, my name, don't call me Naomi Pleasant anymore. Call me Mara which means bitter. I'm a bitter person. I, I, I'm unhappy with what God is doing. I'm broken. I've lost so much. And so she says, let's go work. And she says, you go. She, she can't even get out of the house to provide for the family. So this Moabitess goes out into the field and she is going to go work. Now I want you to, for just a minute, really consider what this means. You have this foreign woman who is of marrying age, and she is going to be out in a field working among men. Okay. Here is a, a woman who is uh, defenseless. There, she's a widow, so there is no man. There is no extended family. She's just going to be out there. Uh, I had a... Uh, one of my buddies from here grew up, and he was not walking with God as a young man. And he said, you know, when I was out on the scene uh, and I was running the streets, I would look for young ladies uh, who had no brother or uncle or boyfriend in the house or father. Uh, if they had any of those, I wouldn't mess with them. But if they didn't, he said, I know it was wrong, but... That's how we did the streets. And so that this young woman, younger woman, is out in the fields, unprotected. There's no man watching over her. No, the, the others in the field could look at her in a certain kind of way. Add to that, she doesn't really belong there. So you have other gleaners in the field, people who are working in the field who aren't employed, but they're getting what falls on the ground, and they're seeing this woman here who doesn't belong, and she's now coming along. I don't know if you ever picked up pecans before, but that's a very territorial thing. You know what I mean? Have anybody done that before? Like, uh, that's, uh, that's my pecan section, you know? So if you pick with somebody else, there's some real problems. The same thing in gleaning. All of a sudden, you're like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, that's, that's my part. That's how I'm trying to make it here. And here is this Moabite woman that does not belong. 
So you can imagine she has all of these eyes on her, her worrisome eyes that are looking at her as if, mm-mm. And in fact, there, there, there's ways to read the reports that the, when, when Boaz asks about this woman, the, the guy who gives the report, uh, it's not a great report. He is not looking on her with a great deal uh, of affection. So here's this woman, and she is easily taken advantage of. Now, for us, um, many of us live comfortable, fairly comfortable lives, but there is a huge part of our population who lives like this in fear. There's a big part of our population who feels unprotected. Um, there are those who are without anyone else for their oversight. There, is, there are those who uh, are here maybe illegally or immigrants who don't know about this place or these people. And so there are a lot of people who feel like this woman, who are on the fringes. And Ruth's, Ruth's poverty is, is a poverty both of finances, but it's also a poverty of relationship, right? She doesn't have people in this place. You can go pretty far if you've got people in a place, right? So when we talk in Jaws for Life, we talk about Jaws for Life. It's not just what you know, but it's who you know. And so there's a poverty of relationship. There's a, a poverty of finances. There's all kinds of poverty that's around us that's, that is like that. It's a financial, it's emotional poverty. There are broken people all around us, right? So we're not, we are not exempt from the, from the roots in the world. They're all around us. And in fact, there are roots in this room right now. We all have this kind of brokenness about us. So this is where we find this story today. She goes out into the field and she is gleaning in the field and it just happens to be, don't you love how it says that? It just, and it, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Um, this word happened actually uh, could be better translated by sheer luck. It just happened to happen, is what the Hebrew says. It happened, it happened. And really what it's saying is kind of winking at us. <laughs> like, you know, she just happened to be in the field of Boaz. And you're going to see bunches of winks throughout this book. So we won't spend much time there. We're going to end with a big wink at the end in chapter 4. So hold on. Verse 4. And behold, <laughs> don't you love that? Like, and behold, here comes Boaz. You can see like a knight in shining armor. He's a, here comes Superman. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Not who is this young woman, but whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi. They've heard the story probably from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Boaz. Boaz is this going to be this pillar of grace and exceptional love that comes into the scene. He shows up, and when he shows up, this is how he enters in. He says, what's up, fellas? God bless you. That's what he's saying as he comes in. And they're like, oh, yeah? Well, God bless you, brother. 
Now, this is not exactly how things work in your workplace. Is that right? Do you, do you have that? The boss comes in. Amen. God bless all of you. That's not usually what happens. And if it did, would the people, would the, would the workers in the crew say, oh, man, God bless you too. Now, there's something else happening there, right? I mean, this is not normal business. There is a love that he has for them, and there is a love that they have for Boaz. There's something unique. He is a man of God in all arenas. And sometimes the workplace is one of the most difficult arenas to be a blessing in. Boaz is that kind of guy. And he is, he is saying, he is pointing their attention and seeing that Yahweh is overall, God is overall, he sees it in business and all of his affairs. So he comes on the scene, he says, God bless you. And they say, God bless you back. This is the kind of man Boaz is. And so he enters in, and as he hears this report, I'm going to skim over and give you the results of this report. He says, now, I want you to look out after this woman. I don't want anyone, you need to make sure no one touches her. You need to make sure she stays here. He goes on to say, I want you to let her drink the water that the other employees have gotten from the well. It says, where the men have gotten water, let her drink. So that means, like, she doesn't have to get her own water. She doesn't have to go and pay for the, the, the drink at the concession stand. They're actually going to have to bring her water. And then he's going to say, uh, now when you're gleaning, I want you to leave sheaves for her. I want you to leave extra for her. And then he's going to have her come eat with them. And then after he has them come eat with them, he's going to send her home with food. Now, it says that when he sends her home, he says, I want to send her home with an ephah of barley. So, you know, when we send people home with food, we usually send them a plate, right? Like if you're really generous, you might give them two plates with tinfoil on it. You know what I mean? Are you with me here? That would be fairly generous. That's a kindness, you know? If, if you're leaving the party and they say, let me send you home with a plate. You're like, well, that was very nice to think of me to make me a plate. I'll take my plate home to someone who didn't come and we'll, we'll eat, this, eat this later on. No, no. He didn't send a plate home with her. He sent an ephah. That means like your big dog food bag, you know, that you can't carry. You have to get the whole, fills up the whole cart. And that's what he sent home. This is three weeks worth of food. Oh, by the way, after the party's over, let me give you this to-go plate. Like she's having other people help her carry it home. Do you see the kind of blessing he's giving this woman? You see, the law, the, the, the religious law required a care for the widow and the orphan, those who were without. Leviticus 19, 9 through 10 talks about it. Deuteronomy 24, 19 talked about it. And this is what it looks like. I hope that the sound system doesn't mess up, but we're going to try and walk out here for a second. What they would have is, is a big field like this. And so as the workers went along the field, and there was corners to the field. Am I doing all right? right? Uh, it's okay. As you went around the field, the corners, they were supposed to leave. So they were going to be walking around the field. That corner would be empty. That corner would be empty. And they were just to go more in a circular motion. There, there it goes. Uh, so that the corners were, still had wheat or barley or whatever was in the field. And then as they went, 
the workers, as they dropped stuff, as something fell, like they were holding it, it fell out, and some of their extra wheat on the ground, they were supposed to leave the wheat or barley, whatever they had, don't pick it up, okay? And so they would go and they would do this, and now the poor people, those who were widows or orphans who needed something, they could go to the corners of the fields and they could, they could get whatever they needed, or they could get what had fallen on the ground. So what Boaz is saying as you go, go along, I want you to kind of like drop a little bit extra right in front of her so that she can glean and that she can do better. So it was, you know, they didn't have Social Security. They didn't have Medicare. They didn't have food stamps. This is, the, this is how God provided for those who were in need. And, and I think it's really interesting. I don't want you to miss this, that what God has said is, I want you to violate business principles in order to be inefficient in order to take care of the poor. Now, this flies in the face of all business principles. Like, the goal of business is to become more efficient, more effective, so that you can make more money. And what God is saying is, I want you to be less efficient and make less money because I want you to take care of the poor. That is a hard thing I know we have business people in this room. I, we have, like, our family is all small business owners. And we hear that, and we're like, are you kidding me? I'm going to go broke if I'm inefficient and effective. I am always working on being efficient and effective. And if I'm not those things, I'm going to have real problems. But God says, what I want you to do is be intentionally ineffective and inefficient in this regard so that you might help those who are in need. I mean, there's some lessons that we can learn from that. But Boaz just doesn't give in to Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 24. He is not just faithful in the letter of the law, but he says, I'm going to go beyond that. I'm going to write a poem and a big check. Give it to her. Give it to this woman who's so far off. This is a Moabite woman, right? You know, the, the law said that you should have nothing to do with Moabites. The law said that you should not let them in Israel. But here is Boaz shown as this incredibly righteous man, this kind of, uh, this godly Jesus-like guy in the midst of all this mess, and he's breaking the law in a sense. The law says you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't let this Moabite be, be part of Israel. But he sees the intent of the law. The law meant that you were not to bring in people with other gods and then marry into those relationships and be like, like David and Solomon and have all this confliction in your, the conflict in your life between the, your wives and their gods or your husbands and those. You shouldn't have that. And so here's this young woman who's come and said, I'm giving up all those gods and I'm going to worship your gods. So he says, okay, this one can come in. But there are many people around him who I'm sure said, you're doing the wrong thing. I can't believe it. You're violating the law. You have messed up. But Boaz sees past that. He has an extraordinary kind of love that, that goes beyond the law, goes beyond even economic principles in order to show and express a tremendous kind of love. And finally, he blesses her. Look in verse 12 and 13 with me. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. 
for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. He blesses her, blesses her, come under the wings and take refuge under the wings of our Lord. Really what he's saying is come and take refuge under my wings, right? How does God show this unique kind of love, this extraordinary kind of love that he is known for, that he promises? How does he show it to you and me? Usually he shows it through people. And usually those people are Christians. They're not always. We had the extraordinary stories of last week of the Samaritan or the, the Muslims in northern Kenya or other people in our lives who are not believers. But the onerous of that kind of love falls on you and me. It falls on you and me to love like Boaz loved, to love like Jesus loved. There were people who came to Jesus and he taught them. He was famous for healing the sick. But Jesus also went out the city walls and there he walked among the lepers and he touched them. Along the way, he touched the dead and brought them back to life. Jesus, as he went along, looked up and saw Zacchaeus and said, I'm going to your house today. This kind of exceptional love goes beyond just the average kind of kindness. You know, for us, we, I pay my taxes, it should take care of the poor. I give my tithes, it should take care of the poor. I, I give $2 or $1.63 at the bell ringers at Salvation Army. I did my part. I've been kind. That's, that's it. But the kind of love that God is calling us to, church, is an exceptional kind of love. It goes beyond just the requirement. It means actually knowing someone's name. It's knowing the name of the poor, the destitute, the, the broken person. And loving them in an exceedingly extravagant way. That everybody looks at and goes, whoa. That that person goes, whoa. Because we have been loved greatly and now we love others in extraordinary ways. My question for you and me is, do we know anybody by name like that? Does anyone, do we have anyone who falls under our wings for refuge? Can you name them? If not, and if more, I would suggest keep your eyes open. Let's look for our neighbors. Let's look for that person that God puts in our path. Let's find ourselves in places where people are like that, who don't fit into our little social group of what we're doing, but then we have eyes for those who are hurting like that. Say, Lord, is this the one that I'm going to bring into refuge into my home, <laughs> that I'm going to care for, that I'm going to remember more than anybody else? I'm going to be diligent about praying for them, and they're gonna be, I'm going to bless their socks off, no matter what it is. Maybe it's financial Maybe it's your time, which seems even more expensive than money, right? Maybe it's your attention, your affections, but love spectacularly because that's the way we've been loved. I'd love for you to come and give me a name next month of who that is. Share it with somebody else. 
that's the kind of people we're to be. Have someone in your home who is different from you, that you wouldn't have there otherwise, who give nothing in return initially of what you can see. Let us live as Boaz. Let us live as Christ has taught us and as Christ was the example. So we'll finish up chapter 2 with a very beautiful verse. Verse 23. And so she kept close. So Ruth kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Okay, here's another little cue for us. What time is it here? It's the end of the barley and wheat harvest. This is the time of Pentecost. The contours of the calendar, I, I was in Israel with my folks some years ago, and I remember our guide saying, Pentecost was this time in which there's an anticipation of something great about to happen. And when Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, it's like we were just waiting for this, and this is the culmination of how great things could be. And so there's this same feeling like there's something great about to happen. It ends in chapter 2 with there's something even more that's yet to come. We haven't, there's been the, the, the blessings on Ruth. She's met this guy, and it seems like there's great expectations. He's from the right kind of family. He's the kinsman redeemer. There's hope that maybe they could fall under the shelter of his wings. Already he's given them the, the super-duper family version of the to-go plate, the gleaning in the fields, protection, all those things. This great love has been poured out on Ruth and Naomi. And the end of the chapter says, but there's more. Church, there's more. We look around us and, and, and God has given us so much. I mean, even the life of this church, looking at this giant worship center that resembles a gym. This is a huge blessing that God has allowed us, us of all people, to have the, the uh, use of this facility to expand and grow and, and serve our community and worship together and disciple, all those things. We didn't deserve any of this. It, God just says, here you go. And we're like, all right, right? Thank you. A grandiose gesture of kindness. And so we can expect more. We can expect more. God is going, brothers and sisters, God is going to continue to show you his extraordinary love. Live in peace. Live expectant. You are going to continue to receive a grandiose kind of love. Passover showed us that, right? Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected, rose again, and then sent his Holy Spirit. Great expectations. God is at work in us. But God did not give us and fill us so that we might be a receptacle of his blessings. We, like David, in Psalm 23, our cup should overflow. So be a person of exceptional love. Exceptional love. That's the way Jesus walked. And that's the way we walk now. Because we serve a Savior like that who fills us up to overflowing. It's just the beginning of Pentecost. Let's come back next week and see how it even gets 